Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I am your host, Gregory Robinson. And I'm your co-host, Galantola Medi. And we are, today we are with um, MSc student from the Chemical and Biochemical Engineering Department, Colin Cooper. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So, um, you, so in your department, looking at, so biology, chemistry, those are your two go-to, and you throw a little bit of engineering in there as well. So We throw a lot of engineering in there, Okay, yeah. so a lot. <laughs> so engineering for a little bit of chemistry and bio instead then. Yeah. So... What is what do you uh, do in your department? Uh, me personally, I'm working on a fermentation process converting glycerol into butanol using uh, an organism called Clostridium pastorianum. What else do people do in your department? What else do people do yeah. in my department? All right. Uh, so, like, what is, is it common to do things similar to that, or is it like a range <clears throat> quite a bit? Oh, there's a there, yeah, there's a large range. So, uh, there's a large push for. Uh, renewable processes, but um, we'll do all sorts of work. In my lab, we've got people working with extraction techniques using ionic liquids, um, which sound very fancy, and they are, and it's outside (laughs) of the scope of my work. Um, But yeah, there's uh, other people are working on uh, thermal decomposition of biomass. Uh, A lot of people do work with wastewater and anaerobic digestion. Hmm. It's, it's an, an, an incredible. It's all yeah. all over the map. Yeah. Wow, that's exciting. And you're so you're specifically looking at trying to do something more environmentally friendly, essentially. Yeah, I'm uh, taking a waste product from uh, biodiesel production, okay. the glycerol, crude glycerol, and fermenting that into butanol, which can be used as a uh, direct replacement for gasoline. Okay. In a what, what, what's this engine. like biodiesel production? What, what exactly is that? Just out of curiosity. So biodiesel uh, is a replacement for normal diesel, naturally, um, except it's using uh, inputs that are, are green and renewable. So the input is uh, called triglycerides. Okay. So it's mm-hmm. a glycerol backbone with three... Uh, fatty acids attached to it. The so that's, fatty that's, acids that's are fat, right? Yeah, that's yeah. fat. That's fat. Yeah, <laughs> no. that's exactly. Your vegetable oil is a bunch of triglycerides. Um, so the fatty acids are. It's called uh, transesterification, I believe. Uh, and that's the fatty acids are methylated and they go away and become your biodiesel. And then what's left over is the glycerol, and the glycerol that's coming out of that is called crude glycerol. Um, if you have a high value triglyceride source coming in that crude glycerol can be uh, upgraded into something that is also of high value so if you've got something that is pharmaceutical grade triglycerides coming in you can clean up the crude glycerol to be pharmaceutical grade glycerol and there's a lot of demand for that in pharmaceuticals Uh, you can also uh, in cosmetics you can also put it in food and feed products Um, but if you're What's going into the process isn't high-value, very clean food, feed, or pharmaceutical-grade glycerol. Um, it's waste cooking oil. If it's mixed with anything that's not so great, uh, what you're going to get out is the maximum quality is going to be is called technical-grade glycerol. Okay. And that technical-grade glycerol really can only be used in science experiments, and you're not going to be putting it into a lot of valuable products. You might be turning it into something synthetic, but it's generally not high value and it's yeah. fairly expensive to clean it up as well okay and that that's what you're using and so that's 
the start yeah of the that's project, that's the the start of the yeah. project is using the the crude glycerol and doing a very uh simple separation on the crude glycerol okay. so just mixing with a bit of water and yeah. then before we get into that, yeah. I just want to make sure I got this right. So when we're talking fat, there's the triglyceride, mm-hmm. which is sort of like the backbone of the fat. And then there's three fatty acid chains. The triglyceride is the is the whole thing. The glycerol right. is the yes, backbone. Yes. Glycerol and, yeah. is the backbone. And then there's yeah. three fatty acid chains. Yeah. So then there's this, I think you said trans-esterification. Trans-esterification. Thank you. Yeah. It's a mouthful. Yes, yeah. exactly. Really, there's a lot of mouthfuls in, <laughs> in science. Yeah, and so... Each of these fatty acids, a methyl group is being added to it. So a yeah. methyl group being um, one carbon with three different hydrogens on it. It's being yeah. added to each fatty acid. And then this is separated from the glycerol. And then these fatty acids are used for um, biodiesel fuel. Yeah. So the, the process combines, you use, uh, the process combines using a very basic environment, using uh, sodium hydroxide and methanol and then the methanol is the so an an ester bond is a carboxylic acid with an alcohol so the methanol is the alcohol the fatty acid is the carboxylic acid and the transesterification is the the one step depending on if you're an organic chemist or not a one-step process (laughs) of going from the triglyceride to glycerol and uh, biodiesel okay so your project is just very um, details, like orientated, and so I just want to make sure we get them all right. But yeah. um, so so then you're left with this glycerol. Now you're saying that there is this, well, I forget the exact word you said, like high uh, value or, or pharmaceutical grade glycerol that you could get. Is a, it if pharmaceutical you, versus the technical, technical. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Uh, butanol. Yeah. So the in terms of. Um, grading compounds essentially if you have something going into a process at least in canadian regulations and a lot of regulations around the world um and this largely matches what's actually going on chemically if you have something food grade going into a process you can get something food grade coming out of a process okay if it's not food grade going into a process you can't have what comes out of the process even if you're saying it's food it's not going to be food grade but Um, same with pharmaceutical grade but so you have something that's not meeting those standards what's coming out will not well yeah and that and okay. whatever is that like not even if you purify it to 99 percent or whatever you're going to be calling it technical grade because okay. you're not sure what other products are in underneath there and i'm guessing at that point having to if it was never a good product to begin with and you go through all that process trying to refine it to get it very pure I'm assuming it's probably an expensive process and a lot of time that probably isn't necessary at that point. So you want to... To try to purify it? Yeah, to try and purify it, essentially. Yeah, yeah the, the purification is, is fairly expensive. You have to use uh, um, often ion chromatography because I mentioned there's the sodium hydroxide in there, so you need to get enough of that sodium hydroxide out so that it's not you know, basic if there's any other metal ions in there, if there's any... Uh, strange breakdown products from anything that happens to also be in the what what's coming in and you yeah. have something toxic or caustic or corrosive that's coming that out too. you got to get rid of that too you got to know that it's there and that's all very expensive and especially if what's coming out is still technical grade it's not it's not really going to be worth yeah. it yeah so you your project picks up with this lower grade the technical grade um, glycerol mm-hmm and you then, I really like this. It's really cool that you can bring 
just random bacterias and use them and utilize their function to produce something that we like, um, something that we want. And so you're taking this glycerol and you're using a specific bacteria. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. Yeah. It's not a random bacteria. Yes, very, very specific, specific bacteria. One. Yes. It's called uh, Clostridium pastorianum. Okay. Yeah. So um, this is a fairly well understood organism um, in some regards and in other regards, not as well understood as I, I would like because uh, that makes some of the the work in the lab more difficult. Um, just trying to match up the, the fermentation conditions with the biochemistry in, inside yeah. it to get it to do what we want it to do is... So I guess it's like sometimes it's like trial and error figuring out what's the best temperature pressure yeah, conditions there's, you there's want a lot it of, to function properly. There's a lot of that, yeah. Um, so what exactly? Which is a lot, this? a lot of that's been done. So it's you know I'm okay, trying to so, be systematic yeah. about that. Ah, but, uh, okay. Yeah. What exactly does the bacteria do though? So the bacteria will take up the glycerol that's in the medium, uh, the media being the the, the special uh, broth that we make for the organism to grow on. Um, so it'll take up the glycerol and uh, glycerol is highly reduced compared to sugar um, not as reduced as uh, fatty acids but so it'll take that and going through it's it'll use the energy in the glycerol because glycerol is very similar to sugar because it's got yeah. the carbons and because like in your body you, coming you, you do turn sugar into glycerol right yeah i believe so yeah we can actually yeah go the opposite way as well we can really? use glycerol in, oh, in okay. similar ways i wouldn't hmm. suggest going on a glycerol diet in fact i would <laughs> very much suggest not doing that okay, um, okay. <laughs> not a diet use, plan you want to follow yeah <laughs> not supported here at grad no. yeah <laughs> don't use strange diets um <laughs> use science um but yeah so it will use the energy that's in the glycerol to survive and thrive and do lots of things and it'll eventually turn it into butanol which is the thing that we're specifically focused on and that we really want okay. and butanol um, is the it's a type of alcohol with four carbons with hydrogens attached to them with an a tail of an oxygen and a hydrogen attached yes. to it okay yeah. um that specifically is called n-butanol or one butanol and that is what okay. we're, we're producing here there's uh two butanol and you can also get other isomers of it okay. those the, are interesting we don't produce them yeah. the number <laughs> is just the location of the carboxyl group if if am I hydroxyl group hydroxyl yeah, yeah. The, the the number is the location of the and that's right. you know on all chemistry is where yeah where the interesting thing goes is okay. the, the number so associated with what it. what else does this bacteria produce or, or is it like perfectly efficient and it just produces this yeah, one it's, beautiful yeah it's an amazing thing no it uh it produces um the well all bacteria will produce an incredible number of various things, all the proteins and so on and so forth. Um, but the main products that it produces are butanol, as mentioned, in the in the highest proportion. Uh, but it also produces butyric acid and acetic acid. So butyric is a four-carbon carboxylic acid. Acetic acid, uh, IUPAC name being ethanoic acid, uh, that no one uses. I'm just a huge nerd to say it is. Uh, <laughs> that's a two-carbon carboxylic acid. And it also produces ethanol in... Okay significantly lower concentrations um, and a compound called 1,3-propanediol. Yeah. And well, the 1,3-propanediol is interesting because it can be used in plastics and so on. It's an, a, a okay. side product that is interesting. We're not really focused on it as the thing that is of value, but it has value in and of itself. Okay, so and, you are getting all these other little byproducts yeah, as well. Yeah, this um, product profile, this kind of fermentation is called a PBE fermentation, whereas historically most butanol was made using an ABE fermentation. Okay. That's uh, acetone, butanol, and ethanol are the, the main solvent products there. 
And, and PPE being? Uh, PBE being uh, the propane diol, 13 propane diol for the P, the B being butanol, and the E being ethanol. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So does it produce, h- how exactly do we extract this butanol, though, from this, uh, I'm not exactly sure what to call it. Like The this, spent media, the, yeah, the broth exactly. from, from the fermentation. Yeah, how, do you, yeah. how do you get that stuff? Um, so... There's traditional methods of using distillation. Okay. Um, and what is distillation? Sorry, distillation. Ooh, how to really describe distillation. Here. Yeah, I like well, it. this is a nice physical chemistry. All the stuff that everybody you know, cringes at. <laughs> um, so distillation is kind of like using. It's kind of like boiling and then condensing what's coming out, what's boiling off. Uh, except in a proper distillation column, instead of having one pot and boiling in one pot you have a number of different um plates in the whole column so each plate is like a different pot where things below it boil and then go up to that pot and they might condense and then things will boil at that pot and so at the top of a distillation column is uh, i yeah i think this is always the case at the top of a distillation column (laughs) it will be the coldest in the bottom of distillation column it will be the, the warm, the hottest. Yeah. Okay. So things evaporate at the bottom and go up, and so you separate things based on boiling point. Okay. Interesting. Um, and you can change how efficient a distillation column is uh, by the pressure. It's called vacuum distillation. It's actually okay. the way a lot of ethanol plants run. At least an ethanol plant that I worked at ran like that. It's, uh, it saves them a lot of money to do that. Um, now, the difficult thing with the traditional distillation systems, uh, something you run in with ethanol, we've there's some ways to solve it, but there's a concept called an azeotrope. Okay. I really hope I got that word right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so what this is, is a point where um, between water and ethanol, uh, for example, you get down to, I believe it's about 0.5%. And at that point, 0.5% ethanol and water. And at that point, the ethanol will always boil off at the same rate as the water because the ethanol boils off quite a bit faster. But if you like consider like, I don't know, some flat plate, like, and you've got 0.5% of it is ethanol and the rest of it is water, you're looking at the rate of that whole system. So you're getting all the water, the 99.5% of the water is evaporating at the same rate as that 0.5%. So you'll never actually be able to get to a higher concentration of water, a lower concentration of ethanol in the okay. liquid. So you'll never be able to boil off all of the ethanol. Yeah. And when it comes to mixing other compounds, so like that's just ethanol and water. So what if we have, we've got this five compound system. Yeah. Turns out it gets worse because then you've got other points. Um, You can get, uh, the thermodynamics get really difficult there because you can get some systems where you add in something instead of making it worse, it makes it better. But this... This is not one of those systems. Okay. Um, so in order to solve those problems, like say if you're trying to make really pure ethanol, they run into something that's called a molecular sieve. And the molecular sieve will allow water into, they're basically beads. The water, the water will be able to go into the beads and the water prefers to stick to the beads. And then the ethanol that continues to run through will be pure and all the water will have adsorbed onto the beads. Okay, and this is called molecular sieve? That's a molecular sieve, yeah. Sieve, okay. Yeah, yeah, or sieve, yeah, however yeah. you want to pronounce it. Um, so that's how you can get 100% or 
or very high concentration ethanol. Okay. Um, now you can't do that with our multi-component butanol system, just running it, like boiling things off and then taking what boils off and running it through a thing because then you're still going to be left with butanol and ethanol and some acids and it's not what you're looking at. Um, So you can use multiple distillation columns. And now, you know, many systems will be looking at three, four distillation columns to do this kind of thing. And now things have gotten four times as expensive. And that's, you know, not good. Um, and you're also using a lot of energy to separate out a lot of water. So one step that we are doing, um, that is seen elsewhere in the literature, but it's been worked on for a while in the lab was we're using a process called pervaporation to separate out the products and specifically to select for the products that we want. So we get a higher amount of butanol that we're we're removing and some butyric acid and some of the ethanol and very little of the acetic acid and no 1,3-propanediol going through the pervaporation. So that means that we've taken that first distillation column where we're taking these volatile things, we've removed it, and we've replaced it with this one process that is operating at a far higher efficiency and using much less energy than you would use using that whole distillation column. And this is pervaporation, like evaporation with a P at the beginning. Yeah, so pervaporation is uh, you permeate across a membrane okay. and then you evaporate on the other side. Okay, that's pretty so, simple. Yeah, okay. so our, our, our liquid is going past the membrane and things are dissolving into the membrane and then it's evaporating the other side by uh, applying a vacuum. Okay. So the vacuum and the evaporation are providing the force to push everything across the membrane and the membrane um, is using material that we've selected to specifically select for butanol yeah. Um, and get as high a concentration of butanol moving across the membrane as possible. Interesting. So, yeah, we're going from, oh, single digits concentration of butanol to over 50% butanol kind of thing. Okay. So that's pretty good. So it's, it's, a, it's a big jump. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the whole process does sound like it's very pressure, almost like, it's like pressure dependent instead of using temperature to control the evaporation most of the time yeah yeah yeah, this is entirely um uh pressure-based evaporation on the evaporation side so you can use temperature to uh, increase the effectiveness of the process as you increase the temperature uh, you'll increase the flux across the membrane flux being uh uh, basically movement per area okay Uh, so that's uh the next step that we are adding into the process um, that hasn't been seen in the literature before is using the, the connecting the bioreactor up to a cell recycle system. And that way we can leave the cells in the bioreactor. Um, this also allows us to increase the productivity of the bioreactor. Uh, but then this separates the cells from the pervaporation unit. And then in the pervaporation unit, we can increase the temperature of the liquid there to... Uh, 50 degrees is a point that I think we, we've seen in the literature before um, by work, by the literature, I mean work that's actually been done in, in my lab. Um, and there we know we're going to kill the bacteria, but we also know this is within the limits of the materials that we're using and increases the flux. Okay. So if we're separating it with the bacteria, we don't have to worry about killing the bacteria yeah. and we can remove butanol faster, meaning we can take advantage of the higher productivity that we're getting with the cell recycle and 
Okay. Really okay. push so the productivity it's further. It's kind of like an assembly line where the glycerol will come into the bioreactor. Yeah. And that's where the cells are. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. Yeah. And then from there, the butanol and various other mixtures within it will go to the, what'd you say, cell? Uh, what was the next part of it? The cell recycle. Yeah. Cell so recycle. All, yeah. all the the microbes, everything will go to the cell recycle unit. Yeah. Um, which is a cross flow membrane. So it just. There's little tubes, and just like the internet, and it will flow through the tubes, but the tubes are slightly permeable, okay. and the holes in the tubes are smaller than the bacteria, but still very large compared to like you would see in the pervaporation. Okay. Pervaporation like, is like, like a, a solid. Butanol could go through yeah. there. Yeah, so the butanol yeah. can go through it. Um, yeah. yeah, any all most of the media can go through it, and then the cells get returned yeah. with whatever it doesn't go through the cell okay. recycle system. Okay. And then once it passes through that, it then can go through this pervaporation pev- process. Did I say that right? Pervaporation? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So it passes through there, and then it goes to the pervaporation unit, and then that removes as much butanol yeah. and and products as possible. Mm-hmm. And then we can return that back to the bioreactor. And a really, really fantastic thing about that is that we're not removing the glycerol. So there's a trade-off okay. between how much glycerol you dose and how fast the fermentation is going to go okay and how much productivity you know, well the productivity and the yield essentially is the trade-off here so if you dose a whole lot of glycerol you can get more productivity but if it's going into a continuous reactor and it's coming out the other end you're going to lose a bunch of glycerol okay even okay. if it's running fairly efficiently you're going to lose a decent amount of, no not a decent you'll lose some glycerol but if we're sending this to the pervaporation unit and that's only removing the products that we want and then we can return a stream back to the bioreactor, we get to keep that glycerol. Yeah. So okay. the long-term... Yeah. So the, the long-term yield is, well, of glycerol consumed is going to be much higher. much closer to 100. Yeah. Okay. Whereas... Oh, all right. And so you, you yeah. said you ended up saying that you got about 50% um, butanol I think that's what you said. The, to get out of the system, you'd get 50% butanol. Am I mistaken there? Approximately? I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> I was just curious but what else was in there. but um, Yeah. So the the actual concentration of what's coming out of the stream is going to vary. Like, uh, it varies. The goal is, yeah. yeah. So we're, we're moving from single digits to significantly higher double digits. Okay. That's the... 50% was just like, it's a bunch. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. So it's just, so it's I apologize better. for not being specific yeah, no, enough. Okay. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so what's also in that stream is the butyric acid, acetic acid, and ethanol. Okay. Because those will all cross the membrane. But the membrane selects far more for the butanol than the other compounds. Okay. So the uh, butyric acid and acetic acid don't like to cross the membrane very much because the carboxylic acid portion of it doesn't mesh well with the uh the non-polar nature of the okay. of the membrane do they get recycled back through with the glycerol into the bio chamber or are they extracted yes yeah, they can, else? um so they some of that will go across the membrane and then that can be separated and we don't do anything with it after that we just run it in the hplc and see how much is there Um, but if you are looking at it on a larger scale you were designing a process you would then have to decide is it cost effective for you to sell that or um are you going to return it to the bioreactor and there's other work that's being done in my lab 
um, where people are taking um, butyric acid and acetic acid and seeing how can we because the organism can reuptake those so how can we convert that back into more butanol okay so that's where whatever isn't going across the evaporation membrane and leaving the system that's going back into the bioreactor and that can be taken up by the organism and turned into more butanol or okay. it might hmm. accumulate or that's that's work to be figured out more in the future that's uh yeah, that 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 that'd, that'd be the, interesting to see whether or not the organism. Yeah, it's outside of the scope of my yeah, project. Yeah, that's where I was going. With. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. but that uh, yeah, it is it is within the biochemistry to yeah. be able to to use some of that. So that's that's yeah. fascinating. I, so we essentially went step by step all the way from fats, your your triglycerides, all the way to making butanol mm-hmm. and producing quite a large percentage of butanol. Um, my next question, really, for you is, we we know butanol, we use it, we we can use it as a biodiesel, um, we can use it in just a regular car just to drive across the country. We don't currently do that, but we could. Yeah, it's and it's been done. It's been done, yeah. yes. There was there was a guy. There's one guy. Yeah, he did it across yeah. the America, was it? Yeah, across the yeah. United States. That's very impressive. But essentially, yeah. we can use this um, in, in the future, potentially, to instead of using like fossil fuel sources. So butanol being a very proven to be a very effective um, biofuel for regular engines, do you think it has the potential to maybe completely replace fossil fuels, or do you think it could align with electrical engines and be an, an, another alternative? Yeah, so naturally, like, butanol can replace gasoline engines, uh, and it'll be a nice complement to with the biodiesel. Um, however, the um, production of butanol is limited to the inputs, is limited to the amount of glycerol that is available. Um, and there's a fair number of other demands for glycerol. Uh, again, not as much the technical grade, uh, but I, I don't think that butanol is going to replace all of our gasoline production, um, or that it ever will. But, um, I guess I'd combine that with moving towards electrification of cars. Butanol is a, a great step in between there so that we can, we can allow people to keep driving the cars that they have now and then run them on butanol so that we're not releasing carbon. That's carbon's coming from natural sources, from, from the fats that are coming from soybeans or corn or what have you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they can drive the cars on that before we get to the point where we have all electric cars. And after that, uh, butanol has a, a number of other uses in uh, industrial processes as a solvent or as you know additives to one thing or another. So there's, well, there's other places for, for butanol to go after we save the world. Colin, thank you so much for uh, coming on here and informing us about your research and also doing the research. Oh, we, thank you very much for having me. We and, appreciate it. Yeah. And this has been, I've, I've learned a lot. I don't know about you guys. Oh, no, but, I've definitely yeah. learned a lot as well. Okay. Yeah. So uh, tonight we have been with Colin Cooper in the chemical and biochemical engineering department here at Western University. Uh, I have been your host, Gavin Talametti, with other co-host Gregory Robinson and t- this, the producer tonight was Ario Frame. Uh, we are GradCast, the official radio and show and podcast by the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. If you would like to follow follow us behind the scenes, we have Instagram and Twitter at GradCast Radio. If you'd like to listen to our episodes, you can go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and now we are on YouTube at, at GradCast Radio, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you'd like to get more information about the show, you can go to our website at gradcast.ca. 
Or if you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and have a great night. And Colin, if anybody wants to talk to you about your research or just meet up with you somewhere, is there something potentially that they could do? Uh, yeah, you can contact me at my uh, my Western email. That's uh, ccooper at uwo.ca, uh, c-c-o-u-p-e-r at uwo.ca. Um, I'd love to talk about my research more. Um, I'm also doing a, um, with the Society of Graduate Students, there's a Freedom of Expression Committee, and we're putting on a panel discussion on September 25th from 6 to 8 at uh, University College 3110. Uh, we're going to be discussing the uh, freedom of expression policy that the Ford government put through and its implications for uh, graduate students and the people of Ontario um, in terms of the ethics and politics. Mm-hmm.